please turn in your Bibles to the passage that was read in our hearing, 1 Peter chapter 3. This evening we'll be looking especially in a focused way at verses 3 and 4, which I have entitled The Well-Adorned Christian Wife. There Peter tells us what the adornment of a Christian woman ought to be like. And he says this, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. Let's once again ask for the Lord to draw near to us with his blessing. Our Father in heaven, we again thank you for the hymns of the faith and that wonderful expectation that you have put for us in the gospel and you have put for us within our hearts. That, that day is coming when all the dead will hear your voice and your people shall be raised imperishable. We shall see your face and we shall be with you forever in undiminished happiness, praise and worship. So Father now, bless the word of God so that we may, our faith may be strengthened and our lives may be according to your word. So help us. By your Spirit's ministry to us now, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. I mentioned this morning, uh, you to imagine what it would be like for me to come in here as a visitor and to see the church. And as I thought about that, um, I asked myself the question, well, what will people see when they come in to City View Baptist Church? Many things, no doubt. They'll see simplicity of worship. Pastor Tate and I were talking a little bit about that. It's one of the features of City View Baptist Church. And, and indeed, brethren, many of the churches where I go and preach, that's, that's what the worship is. It's simple worship. We sing hymns. Uh, we pray prayers. We read the word. And we have the preaching of the word of God. It's simple, simple worship. But people will see many things. Um, it's very interesting to think about the, the different styles of adornment, the different styles of hair, uh, or the lack of the same, that might be visible at City View Baptist Church. And it is a, it's a good tribute to the commitment that we have to Christian liberty. It, it has an interesting effect. Uh, it makes it hard to make a visible representation or a comprehensive description of the Christian woman, right? Because you're not all uh, exactly the same in your tastes and styles. And that's, that's appropriate. So people will 
see that. Whether or not they notice it in the same sense, it's, it's there. And it's a very good, a very good thing. It's an, a very important thing about the testimony of the church. Here in 1 Peter 3, Peter has a holy art, a holy perception to draw the portrait of a godly Christian woman. Again, well-adorned Christian woman. He doesn't doesn't talk about every detail of their outward features. As a matter of fact, what, what Peter tends to do is to say what the outward should not look like, and then to key in on the inward character, the heartward character of a Christian woman. What ought to mark the Christian woman? What ought to be the thing which draws the attention of others to the godly Christian woman? Now, Peter does this out of concern that the people of God would indeed be recognized as godly people by an unbelieving and antagonistic world. That's, that's Peter's great concern. That's why Peter begins in verses 1 and 2, as we, as we read together, he speaks about the woman's uh, need to be submissive to their husbands in the face of an, an antagonistic response to the gospel. He's talking about Christian women who are married to unconverted men, primarily. Now, it's true they ought to be submissive even when their husbands are Christians, but he has this particular interest in the way that the world looks at the Christian. That's why uh, much earlier in the letter, Peter puts it this way. Keep your behavior, verse 12 of chapter 2, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So he says, okay, you're living in the, war, in, a, in the midst of an antagonistic world, a world that does not appreciate your gospel, does not believe your gospel, opposes your gospel. But your conduct and your manner of life is to be such that it disarms them. And they cannot ignore both what they see and what they don't see. So that's what Peter is dealing with. He's talking about the the Christian woman in her relationship to those who are most antagonistic to her. He, um, He expects that people, and particularly men, will often be influenced to respect and hear the gospel by the conduct of their wives, by this Christian behavior, by the Uh, well-adorned Christian wife. Peter tells us that uh, unconverted husbands and indeed other unconverted men will notice their behavior. Peter tells these Christian women as motivation that there is something which is, in one sense, irresistibly God-glorifying. We're going to see that as we work our way through the passage this evening. Now, Peter is one of those perceptive men who understand women. Um, a lot of men don't understand women. 
sometimes it's challenging, isn't it? It's challenging for us because our mentality is generally quite different than the woman's mentality. And it's, it's difficult for us to really understand women as we desire to. But Peter is perceptive. He understands women. They're concerned with making things look nice. One of the things that uh, a pastor friend of mine used to uh, used to uh, preach about when he, he came to Genesis 2 that it's not good for the man to be alone. He would say things like, well, just go into their apartment, just go into their living space. And you see that they, they're not uh, generally very skilled in organization and decoration, but women uh, have more of an ability in that regard. They, they're concerned with making things look nice. And actually, Peter, in the, you can't see it as easily in the English, but Peter uses uh, the word from which we get our word cosmetics. He uses that, that word to describe uh, the woman's inclination to make things look nice. And um, this is, uh, again, this is generally uh, more prominent to women than it is with men. You have a text, for example, in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 32. in which Jeremiah, my inspiration, speaks about this. Ah, there it is. Jeremiah 2.32. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? It's uh, unthinkable. That when a woman looks back at her wedding clothes, and now in Peter's day, they wouldn't have photographs, but if they did, the woman would be going through the, the uh, wedding album, and there she sees her beautiful garments and her beautiful jewelry, and she can't forget the joy that she had on that day. It's, it's, uh, it would be remarkable for a woman to forget that. Now, Peter addresses this instinct to make things look beautiful and attractive in these two verses, 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. First of all, he addresses it negatively. He addresses it negatively. He, he, he speaks of what a Christian woman is not to be noted for. What a Christian woman is not to be noticed for. Before he goes and he starts talking about the positive, he touches on the negative. Again, the text says, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses. Um, Peter is, is telling her that her labors ought not to be devoted first and foremost in this area. She, she should not be concerned merely or primarily with the outward appearance. And uh, here Peter uses three words of fashion, three words of fashion, which speak of preparation. Here the woman, what he's telling the woman not to do, and I'll explain uh, 
that in, in a moment, uh, how we're not to understand it, but he says, uh, braiding the hair. Now, I know a lot of women who braid their hair, and uh, that's not, it's not a bad thing. It's not a sinful thing to braid your hair, so don't misunderstand me, and don't, don't misunderstand Peter. I'll, I'll explain in a moment. He says that they're not to be consumed with braiding their hair, uh, putting on jewelry, where that's, that's, he talks about gold. And again, I know there are churches where if a woman showed up with earrings, eyebrows would go up uh, because they think, well, a woman should never be wearing jewelry. Uh, but that's not Peter's perspective. He brings it up, not explain in a moment why. So he, this is the second thing. He says she's not to be consumed with braiding her hair, the arranging, arrangement of her hair, or a hanging pieces of jewelry, because actually that's a kind of expression Peter uses. That's you're hanging on, you're hanging something around to make it look nice, and um, then clothing oneself. Well, what's wrong with braiding the hair or wearing uh, a piece of gold? I think that um, most most of you, brethren, are wearing some kind of jewelry in your ears or on your finger or around your neck or on, around your wrist. Well, there's nothing wrong with it, necessarily. You have to understand the culture in which Peter is addressing these things. Women, even Christian women, would sometimes have elaborate hairdos, elaborate braidings, and they would uh, not only braid their hair, but they would, um, they would intersperse pieces of gold so that when a woman walked in and moved her head side to side, uh, that the light would glint on all of the gold that she had braided in her hair. So that it became, this, this practice became a matter of display. If you go to a Bible dictionary, some Bible dictionaries actually have pictures of women and what it would look like when they were done braiding their hair and putting uh, uh, bits of gold in there. It did two things, well, it drew the attention and it proclaimed how much money they had. It was a status symbol, you see. And, and Peter is, is saying that's really not the kind of impression you want to make. You don't want people looking at you, you and saying, well, she must have taken several hours. She must have woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning and gotten into the bathroom and spent a great deal of time braiding her hair with pieces and bits of gold so that she has this elaborate, ornate display of her skill and her riches and her beauty. And then the, the clothing as well, uh, again, was something of a display. I can't really get out of my mind a picture that I heard so many years ago at a church I was attending, where it had been, the previous night had been a prom and the daughter of one of the members had had her hair done up for the prom, and she had it done up in such a way that I thought it was a perfect illustration of what Peter was talking about here. She didn't, she didn't dress that way all of the time, but it was uh, very obvious. She spent a lot of time on her hair, and it was very ornately done. And though the girl probably didn't have this text in mind, this was a text that she should have had in mind, at least, at least in my opinion. Um, it's, a, it's interesting that Peter's not the only one to comment on this kind of 
adornment. If you look back for a moment in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9, you find that the Apostle Paul talks about this as well. He's talking about uh, the roles of men and women in public worship. And uh, the first thing he tells them in 1 Timothy 2 is that there ought to be prayers on behalf of all men and uh, that we pray for kings and all who are in authority, which is one of the reasons why so often in your church, in my church, part of the prayer, the pastoral prayer, or the congregational prayer, however you want to call it, is taken up with our government. We pray for our governors, we pray for our judges, we pray for men in authority because of this passage. And um, he's, he talks about this and he says he wants all the men to pray. I want all the men to pray. That's their, that's their responsibility, that's their role in the worship of God, in the prayer meetings. So he ends that first paragraph with verse eight, I want the men in every place to pray. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Now, what's the woman's role? And it's very interesting because Paul uses the words for the men, which is the word for males. You have a word, generic word for men, which could be used for men, could be used for men and women. But then you had this um, specific male, male noun. I want the males to pray, he says, at 1 Timothy 2.8. But then the women have a role too. What's the role of the woman? What should she be noted for? Well, this is what he says. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly. Notice, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. So the very thing that Peter is concerned about as he writes to the churches in Asia Minor, the apostle Paul is concerned about as he writes to the church. He writes to T uh, Timothy, who was pastor of the church in Ephesus at the time. So again, the fact that you have it, Peter's writing it with almost identical terms, and Paul is writing it, expressing the same concern that tells you that this is uh, something that was a danger in that day. Both Peter and Paul, uh, address this problem, this danger. And they use the same family of words, adornment. Um, adornment is not wrong. Uh, but the type of adornment is important. You see, Paul doesn't want, and Peter doesn't want, women coming into the church and becoming the center of attention by their display of their riches, of their elaborate hairdos, etc., etc. I'm, I'm, I'm really saying this, and I want you to understand. It's not that I think that somebody's violating this. It's, it's, it's what the text says, and what's, what I, I want to emphasize especially is the thing that comes next, because Peter is concerned that the women be uh, desirous for not only not violating this, but to have the right internal disposition as well. Okay? So, again, Peter and Paul are not saying that adornment is wrong, but the type of adornment is vital. Uh, some kinds of adornment are not good or godly because they're not discreet. 
Peter makes this very clear um, uh, in, in the King James. The New American Standard uses merely, that not be merely uh, external, and the King James doesn't need the word merely. He says that the King James translation is, whose adorning let it not be outward adorning of the hair, etc. So the uh, King James is actually a better translation at that point. Well, again, uh, think about the primary relationship Peter has in mind. He has in mind the woman's relationship to her husband and particularly to an unconverted husband. And um, husbands, we're used to seeing ostentatious fashion displays uh, from their wives before their wives were converted. And they were used to seeing it still in other women who were not converted. So, if you were to go down the street, uh, Flatbush Avenue, and you had the women of the church happen to be coming in at the door, and some other women passing by, uh, in many, many times, you would see quite a contrast between the godly women and their Christian adornment, and unconverted women and their adornment. So, it would be a real testimony to, uh, to the husbands and to other ungodly men. If the woman had been, and in most of these cases, the woman would have been unconverted when she was married and later converted, and this would have formed a before and after view. You know, they have these, uh, these pictures of someone who's uh, dieting and has gone to a clinic and has gone through a program and she has her before picture and her after picture. Well, we put that in the spiritual realm. And then you have the Christian woman who used to dress one way. She used to display herself one way and now she's displaying herself in a different manner. And the difference with other women would be very noticeable. And you might think to yourself, well, I don't, I don't think it's very noticeable. Well, it is. It is because it is uh, like a city set on a hill. A modest Christian woman who understands how to adorn herself, something that cannot be missed in a culture which has lost all sense of propriety and modesty and discretion. So it is. It is a noticeable thing. The godly woman's style will be pleasant and artful, but it will not be indiscreet, it will not be immodest, and it will not be overdone. Now, somebody might say, well, you think, Brother Frank, that Peter and Paul are saying that uh, Nice-looking dresses and jewelry are always out of place. I don't think that that's the point. They're, they're concerned about women who are overdoing their fashion and their dress. But uh, the, the, the way that the, the Bible treats and, and talks about a woman's clothing and the appropriateness of it, I, I think it shows that that's not the case. They're not saying... You know, come come looking uh, like uh, you're straight out of Elizabethan English 
and you don't, you, you know, your ankles never show. I, I knew a, a Christian woman. She told me one time she was a little bit worried because her arms were exposed and, uh, it wasn't the least bit offensive. Sometimes you may get the impression this is not the problem. Again, Paul speaks about women in public worship. What's to be our focus in public worship? Well, it is to be not our dress, not our fashion, not our beauty, but it ought to be the worship of God. So the Christian woman should be sure that she's noted for the right things. The first thing Peter does is he says, not this, not ostentatious display, not making yourself look like a, a fashion model. Uh, not that. That's not, that's not the right impression to give. So he gives us the negative example in verse 3. But then Peter comes to a positive what if a Christian woman is not to be noticed for her outward adornment? What should she be noted for? And this is where Peter in verse 4 gives us the positive. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Peter generally says uh, something toward this in the end, in verse two. He he says um, that the the men are supposed to observe your chaste and uh, without fear uh, behavior. My New American Standard has respectful behavior, but I think that the translation of uh, without with uh, with fear, in other words, a regard. To the fear of God. So the woman is concerned for God's eye, for God's evaluation, and she fears God. And so that drives the way she uh, adorns herself. So generally, it's the, Peter says, what she is to be marked by is the hidden person of the heart. The hidden person of the heart. And the hidden person of the heart is that which does not strike the eye. What ought to be noticed is not what is immediately seen. Because we don't see the heart of a Christian woman. But the way that she adorns herself, the way that she carries herself, displays her heart. It's that which is within Solomon gives us these directions, which are probably well known to most of us. Watch over your heart, says Solomon, for out of it are the issues of life. What's inside? What's the, the fear of God that is within? We watch over our inward graces, our inward attitudes, because that's what's going to appear in the way that we conduct ourselves. The, the heart is the center of the person, both male and female. And this is where a person's conduct flows from. People will be quickly impressed with women's, with women in their well-adorned bodies, physically, 
But that which is to mark a Christian takes longer to appreciate because it's not intended to gain attention for itself. So that's what Peter says generally, or what the Christian woman is to be known for, is to come from the hidden person of the heart. But then specifically, Peter brings up two features of the well-adorned Christian woman. The first one, he said, well, he says it is, it is a distinct humility and her character, which flows from that humility. Peter is talking about a humble Christian woman that affects the very way in which she adorns herself and carries herself. The first thing about it, the inward woman, is her meekness, her meekness. It is the fundamental Christian grace. It's the word that Jesus uses when he says, blessed are the meek. That's, that's the word which Peter uses. It is a Christ-like grace. Matthew 21, 5, the gospel writer notes this about the Savior. And in, in this, the Savior is a model for both the Christian man and the Christian woman. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 5, when Jesus is going into Jerusalem, the writer Matthew says that this fulfills what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Gentle. That's the word meek. Gentle. And mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So that is the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Christian's attitude, the way in which he receives the word of God. James tells us that we ought to receive the word of God in a meek spirit. And it is, uh, well, it has, it has many manifestations in our lives, in our character, in the way that we witness to people. First uh, Peter 3.15, Peter says, you should always be ready to give an account for the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. So meekness is the first fundamental Christian grace. That's internal. What is the hidden person of the heart? It is the hidden person of the woman who understands that meekness is not a disadvantage. It's not a disadvantage. We'll come to that in a moment. The second uh, distinct character of a well-adorned Christian woman, he says it's Quietness. That's very interesting. Quietness. It's, a, it's unruffled. It's an unruffled spirit. I like to think of it this way. I don't like to think of it at all, actually. Um, it's a woman who doesn't live in emergency mode. You know what emergency mode is? It's uh, if you were in, in a building that was on fire and you see a piece of glass with a little hammer next to it, you break it and you, and you pull the lever because there's an emergency. And some people live in emergency mode. This is not to be the Christian's disposition, not to be their general manner. It's quietness versus emergency. Sometimes... It will be a reservation that is very much quiet. It's, uh, it's contrasted in our New Testament with, uh, with busybodies. And I'll give you a couple of texts. 
in First uh, Timothy three. First Timothy chapter three and verse eleven. The Apostle Paul again uses this kind of language. Makes me wonder if I have the right. That's chapter 3. That's why I'm not seeing the right text. Chapter 3 and verse 11. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. So, there, a woman who is a malicious gossip, gossip is not going to be a woman of meekness and quietness that Peter says she ought to be. And there is a verse in chapter 5 as well, verse 13. At the same time, he talks about uh, uh, widows and, uh, and the problems that widows are inclined to. Not every widow is like this, but at the same time, he says they learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. So that's the contrast to the meek and quiet spirit of a Christian who understands her role and understands what her adornment ought to be. It's not to be external merely, but it's to be internal. And it's to flow from these Christian graces. One of the things about these graces that the apostle Peter and Paul uh, insist on, as he calls it, incorruptible. Uh, what was it in, in the King James? Let it be the hidden person of the heart in that which is not corruptible. So the New American Standard has incorruptible. And uh, the idea is that what, what is incorruptible doesn't die. It was interesting for me to look up some of the parallel passages, some of the places where the word is used. It speaks of God as incorruptible. When uh, the Apostle Paul speaks about, now to uh, the immortal, invisible, God only wise, he uses this word to describe God as immortal. And we have that song, immortal, invisible, God only wise. That's, that's the word which Peter is using here. And he says that the Christian woman who has these graces living in her, manifested in the way she dresses herself and carries herself, it is incorruptible. It's the kind of thing which, by the grace of God, a woman may sustain. It's not going to wear out. It's not going to die when it comes from the grace of God. And this word incorruptible is used elsewhere. Various things, Peter tells us that we have an incorruptible, an incorruptible inheritance in 1 Peter chapter 2. So, this is a contrast to clothes and jewelry. Your jewelry, you have to keep uh, cleaning and making it shine. Uh, you have to buy special equipment to make it keep its luster and its beauty. But a meek and quiet spirit, says Peter, is incorruptible. Your clothes will wear out. The outfit, which the first time that you bought it and tried it on in the, in the store, 
You looked in the mirror and you said, wow, that's really wonderful. The day's coming, of course, when that will no longer be useful. It will uh, get less, uh, less new, right? It will wear out. So this is what Peter is doing here. He's saying, the inward person of the heart is an incorruptible resource, an incorruptible blessing to you. And that is why you ought to nurture this as opposed to that which is merely external. The last thing in the text is God's evaluation. Peter tells the Christian woman what her adornment ought not to be, an ostentatious, ornate display but what it ought to be is her character, the hidden person of the heart. And he tells us, not only is it incorruptible, it's precious in the sight of God. And this is what the Christian woman ought to value most about her adornment when it is the manifestation of a meek and quiet spirit. He says, this is what God delights to see in a Christian woman. God looks at it and God says, well, here is something of great value. That's what, that's what, uh, how Peter pictures it, right? It's precious in the sight of God. And so again, what Peter is doing is he's telling the Christian woman, yeah, you, you can draw the attention of men. Yeah, you can have beautiful clothing and you can have lots of gold. Uh, and you can flaunt your wealth and flaunt your beauty and flaunt your style. And men will look at it and say, wow, she's really beautiful. She's really desirable. God's not going to say the same thing. The Christian woman will desire what God regards as precious. And that's a great motive for the Christian woman to follow the directions of Peter and, of course, of the Holy Spirit. This word uh, uh, of great price, expensive, it's, a, it's a, one of those words that's used in uh, Mark 14, 3, where the woman brings expensive spikenard and pours it out upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's the kind of word which... Uh, the, the price of it is, uh, is, uh, is uh, expressive. Okay. So, as we have looked at this, we've looked at what Peter tells the Christian woman should not be her preoccupation, and what should be her preoccupation in terms of her character, internal character, and how it drives her behavior and her adornment and of God's evaluation. So, as we think about how this applies, it applies to both men and women. It has something to say to men, married men, single men, and women. The question is, what do you value in yourself, sisters, especially Christian women? What do you worry most about? What do, you, what do you work on as you think, well, what kind of a 
Christian woman do I desire to be? Well, it's going to be manifested in the things you spend the most time on. Certainly the most time praying about. Now, I would say a woman, just like a man, ought to pray about what he or she wears. We ought to pray about those things. We ought to ask ourselves as we come to the closet, what does God want me to wear? Or I'll put it a different way. What does God want me not to wear? What should I not pull out of my closet? Hopefully you don't have any clothes like that in your closet. You only have clothes that you say, when I put this on, I know that I will not be displeasing to God. But even considering that, what we work on most, what we value most, what we aim at most, ought to be the person of the heart. Who am I where nobody else can see? And although the world cannot see your modesty, they can see it, they won't value it. You understand that, uh, dear sisters, the world is not going to value your modesty. They're going to criticize your modesty. I've heard this. I've heard this uh, from people who are seeing women brought up under the impress of the gospel and, and criticizing what, what are these women like? They, they are a throwback to Elizabethan English, to some other period of time. They mean to insult them. And as a matter of fact, it's a compliment for a woman to be told that she's a throwback to a former time and she doesn't feel the liberty of dressing immodestly. So, again, what do you value? People to see. I trust that none of you It'd be incredulous to me that you want to be a fashion model. I know a Christian woman who in her youth uh, had that aspiration. She wanted to be a model. I can't understand that in a Christian woman in our day, unless she's going to be a model for a line of clothing which is modest. That would be, that would make sense to me. But um, again, I am, I'm asking you, what are you working on in terms of your improvement of yourself. You want to improve, and you ought to want to improve in your heart dispositions. That, that ought to be the thing that you want to work on. You want to work on a reputation, but a reputation for godliness, not a reputation for the things that the world, um, that the world uh, is interested in. This is the heart of a Christian woman. Now, what's going to prevent a Christian woman from going in that direction? What's going to prevent her? What's going to be the greatest hindrance? Well, I have one little word. It's called unbelief. Unbelief will make a woman not want to be what God says she ought to be. And the question you would ask, if that's, if that's what you might, might be tempted to, is, uh, does God know best? Does God know best? Does he know how to direct those who are his? Was he able to give adequate guidance 2,000 years ago when Peter penned this letter? How do you respond to these things? They will have a tremendous impact upon your life. As you, as you go home this week, I would encourage you to take out this passage and to go over it and to pray over it. 
and ask God, well, God, what is what is in my heart? Has grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, addressed the pride of being noticed, of being valued, especially by unconverted people? It's, it's not the kind of thing that should be uh, uh, the conduct of a Christian woman. What you should be trying to do is grow your spiritual identity in your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted, I said this has application to the women, has application to men too. Because men can be equally vain about the issue of a woman's adornment. In that movie, uh, Fiddler on the Roof, you have this man, Tebya, and he sings a song to God, believe it or not. He says, I see my wife, my golder, looking like a rich man's wife with a proper double, double chin. And he speaks about how she supervises and how she lives her life. It's a very carnal idea. Do you ever talk to your wife about what you value in her most? Have you, have you told your wife, I see the efforts that you make to dress in a way that's properly attractive? Because again, Christianity is not frumpishness. You can look up that word on the internet if you're not sure what that means, frumpishness. Um... Do you tell your wife that you value her modesty and her discretion? I know a number of Christian women who I know very well. And when I see their concern when they're shopping for clothes, it rejoices my heart. It's valuable. It's a treasure. Do you communicate that to your wife? You let her know that you appreciate what she does to dress herself attractively and yet modestly. I'll tell you, when I see Christian women who know how to do that, it rejoices my heart. What grieves my heart is when I cannot look at a woman without having to turn my heart, my mind away and push that image out of my mind. That's, that's grievous to a Christian man. But to see a woman whom I can talk to face to face without any concern for what my eyes will see and what my heart will feel when I see them. And I, I do appreciate it very much when I see the modest Christian women here as well as my home church. So, let me urge you men. You have a wife who knows how to dress herself modestly, discreetly, who has a meek and quiet spirit? Let her know. Don't, don't, don't make this the only time she ever hears that this is highly valuable and highly to be commended. Make sure your wife understands that this is the way you think of her. Now, I could say more to young girls, the 
kind of person that you ought to be? Young boys, ask yourself what you value in a woman. You know, right now, somebody said there were there are a couple of stages in the boy's view of girls. There's the view of yuck, and there's the view of hmm, and that, then there's the, the wow. Well, what kind of a woman do you envision? Because one day, all things being equal, girls are going to be very interesting to young men. Now, what are you interested in? What are you interested in? What kind of a, a woman would you be interested in marrying? It might seem a long way away. But it's never too soon to think the right thoughts about the role that God has for us. If we're young men, one day we're going to be choosing a wife. What do you want? You want a flashy girl who's a, what do they call her? Uh, is a, uh, we used to talk about this from time to time. Uh, uh, it keeps on escaping me. She's a, she's a, she's a model. She's a trophy wife. That's what I'm thinking of. A trophy wife. You want a trophy wife? You want the kind of girl, and I've seen this, who all the other guys are saying, what well, about for all the wrong reasons? Not the kind of wife that you want. Not the kind of wife with which God would be pleased. Not the kind of wife who will be a good model for your children, a good testimony to your relatives. So, you see what Peter is saying here has direct application to women. It has direct application to men. It has a direct application to boys and girls because this is the model toward which we should aspire. And the only way we're going to be able to do it is by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can give us the values by his grace that promote godly Christian women, well-adorned Christian women. May God grant that they may be abundant in our generation. They are not now, but God is able to do it. Let's pray. Yeah. Our Father and our God, we thank you that the things that we have discussed this evening, the things that have been presented from the Word of God, are things which we have been able to see in our church, among Christian women. We thank you for the women who exemplify a meek and quiet spirit, the kind of women who are not interested in uh, being the center of attention uh, for everyone around them. But we thank you for those Christian women whose great features and great character is the hidden person of the heart. We pray, Lord, for any of your women, any of your daughters, who are struggling with their identity and are being influenced by the worldly view of beauty and influence. We pray, our God, that our, our Christian women may be true influencers for godliness and not for worldliness. So please bless the things we have considered in your word this evening and teach us how we may promote them in our wives as well as they in their lives. Please hear our prayer 
Answer us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.